This week's episode is brought to you by ISTE. At ISTE Live 23, on June 25th through 28th in Philadelphia and online, you'll discover what's next in education and explore ideas for using tech to revolutionize learning. Get inspired about teaching and learning as you reconnect with peers and meet an enthusiastic global community of educators. And then bring that joy back to your school. Register now at isteconference.org. Before we get to the episode, a quick program note. This week, we are replaying one of my favorite recent episodes. As you'll hear, the topic is student disengagement and what to do about it. And I got to travel to a college in person to report this one. We are hearing that this issue is happening at schools as well as on campuses. And in this, which is the second episode of a series that we ran on the topic, we focus on how educators are finding some ways to adjust their teaching to adapt to this unique and challenging moment. Okay, hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young. I'm an editor and reporter here at Ed Surge. We've been hearing that now that college classes are back in person after pandemic shutdowns, the vibe on campus is different these days. With more students skipping lectures and more students checked out than before in what some are calling a student disengagement crisis. So at the end of last semester, I visited a big state university to see for myself. The campus that I went to was Texas State University. But we have heard of similar scenes playing out across the country. My goal was to sit in the back of large lecture classes and get a sense of what teaching is like now that colleges are getting back to something like normal. On the Thursday of my visit, I was invited to observe a psychology class called Lifespan Development. The class covers how humans change over different points in their lives, and it's taught by a veteran teacher here, Amy Meeks. She is a senior lecturer, and she's been teaching for 20 years. So earlier in my visit to campus, I sat in on a digital media class where I witnessed a level of student distraction that surprised me. So we devoted an episode to that a couple weeks ago as the first installment of this series. You should check that out if you haven't already heard it. As a quick summary, in that class, I saw students watching sports highlights on YouTube during the lecture, another shopping for beds on Facebook Marketplace, and one playing video games on his smartphone while the professor did his thing on stage. It's different in this psychology class I'm seeing, though. As I look out from the back of the room, I see most students following along, taking notes. Most seem to have the lecture slides up on their laptops or their iPads, or they're taking notes with pens on notebooks. Students seem mostly into it. Actually, there is one student in the fifth row, and she's hunched over her phone watching TikTok videos. But that's just one student. And most people seem to be paying attention. Still, Amy Meeks is the first to say that something big has changed. Because I think that during COVID, we gave them everything. We were told on our end, give them everything. They're having to figure out how to take classes online. You're having to figure out how to teach online. So they wanted us to be gracious. And of course, that's easy. I don't have a problem with that. Um, But post-COVID, they said this beginning of this fall uh, 2022 semester, they said, okay, Go back to pre-COVID teaching. COVID is pretty much 
taken care of, or it's not that it's over, but it's under control. And so you can return to pre-COVID teaching. I gladly did that because I love being in the classroom, and it has not worked out the same as I thought it would. And I think that's because the past two years, the students have had a different experience. We've had a different experience, and they've had a different experience. And I have to remind myself, even if they were in the last two years of high school and they're freshmen, or they were in college for two years, it doesn't matter where they were in the classroom, their classroom experience was different these last two years. So if I'm going back to three years ago, how I used to teach, they're like, wait, what? You know, they're not getting that. The biggest change this professor sees is in attendance, or more specifically, a lack of attendance. The day of my visit, I count 23 students in the room. 23. The roster shows there should be 125 students. So by my calculations, that means about 18% of the students are actually here. The result is that it seems like I'm in a small class spaced out in an oversized room. Do you have any other sense of, like, the ones that aren't showing up, like, you know, why? I don't, and I wish that I did. I've even had a conversation a few weeks ago with each of my classes at the beginning of the class. I'm having five this semester, I have five classes. And at the beginning, I started out asking, okay, you guys, I so appreciate you guys being here. How can I get the other guys to come fill these seats? What's happened to them? Because they always, I have full classes the first few weeks until after the first test. And I asked my students who were in class, what do I do? You know, how do I entice them to come back? And their answers were pretty straightforward. Some of them said, offer uh, extra credit for attendance. But of course, with COVID, they said, you know, we don't want you to do that because then that could um, be biased against people who have an immunocompromised system. Uh, so, you know, but anyway, they said, offer extra But that would do it. Yeah. yeah, that would totally do it. Uh, they said, offer um, like gift pop quizzes that you hand out in class and that you only get credit for if you're there. That's a great idea. I haven't started that yet, but that's a good idea. And then really the bottom line in all my classes was there's nothing you can do and don't worry about it. It's not you. They just choose not to come and it's their loss. So even the students sort of have an idea or a an opinion about those that don't show up. Do you think there's a sense by the students now that they can just go find it? Oh, absolutely. On their own, without you. Oh, my gosh. That's the truth. I was having a conversation with somebody a few weeks ago now, and she was saying that that's exactly what she's been reading about this generation, that because they can Google everything, they don't see the need to learn anything. And that's so sad to me because we know from work on memory, from work that you've been doing, you need those foundational building blocks of any subject matter and once you have those foundational pieces bringing in new information learning new information takes one-tenth of the energy and what they're missing are the foundations to tie that new information to so it's like they're constantly learning a new array of facts but they don't have anything to anchor it and that makes me worried about them getting out in the world they might be able to get a job because they have a degree and they can pass the interview, but then when they're at their desk and they're asked to do a task at this new job, 
are they going to know how to do it? Or are they going to say, you know what, I wasn't in class that day. I don't remember how to, I don't know how to do that. I mean, I even say that to my classes. It's like, you guys, you might get a degree, but I really want you to be successful once you leave here with your degree. So that's the value I see to being in the classroom, to hearing examples, to having discussion, to listening to some question another student asks that you might not have thought of, but you can still learn from the discussion surrounding the answer. So I do worry about them not having the anchors of foundational knowledge. And because of the experience students had during COVID lockdowns, when all the teaching was on Zoom, many students seem to feel they learned how to teach themselves just by Googling. I wanted to talk to a few students myself. So I caught up with some right after this class. So I think this kind of seems to be a more recent thing, especially after COVID. That's Tyler Harrell beforehand everyone was going to class no it was always the same and then after the past two years it seemed I kind of got this feeling I'm like it seems like people don't necessarily want to make friends and I think that's because not everyone was going to class we got used to standing six feet apart everywhere we went and then now we come back to here and we're just not used to it again and so it's been two years of not having that and especially for people like myself who I started college during COVID so this is like the first year I feel like everything's actually back and I was really surprised this year when people were back at school However, I think those two years of having those optional online classes, it gave so many people an easy way out. And having that still, even now, the option to just maybe, okay, I'll have all the notes online. I can go home and do this. I don't need to go to class. I don't need to maybe pay for parking. I don't need to take the time to take the bus. Uh, I can just avoid all the distractions. I can do it on my own time, get it done faster. And I think that may be what is driving a lot of people. Another student in the class, Sarah Ford, had a similar comment. A lot of people, I think... Um, don't come to class because, like, the notes are online. You can just do it online. I have been tired one day and just was like, okay, the notes are online. It's, like, I can just, I'll skip that class. It's fine. Especially since, like, attendance isn't mandatory because in some of my other classes, attendance is mandatory or you can miss so many. And so I'm like, okay, I have to go to class. I need to make sure my attendance is, like, I don't miss too many classes. And that one, like, it's not mandatory. It's just extra credit. So I think a lot of people are like, well, like, I don't have to be there. It's not, it, like, doesn't base on my grade or anything if I'm not there. This seemed to be a theme as I talked to students. That there was a calculation people were making about which lectures to show up to and which ones to skip. Now, I know from reading comments on social media about the first episode that we did in this series that you might be thinking, okay, students have always done this. That student disengagement is nothing new and that many students have always looked for ways to get away with doing less. But experts who watch trends in teaching say that something is different now. And surveys back that up. One published in June in the UK found that 76% of the professors surveyed reported lower attendance since courses went back in person after COVID lockdowns. Whereas the default in the past might have been tilted toward attending class, these days more students may flip that around and assume they'll skip a lecture unless they feel they are kind of forced to go. Now, it's hard to get a sense of how widespread that is. But anecdotally, it seems like more students have begun to realize they can get good enough grades, and therefore a degree in the end, without having to go to class. Especially lecture. I'll talk to the person beside me about the grade, and they they haven't shown up for weeks. And they're like, yeah, I got like a... 90 and I'm I got like the similar grade and I was like but I've been here the whole time and I've actively paid attention and like done it and you probably like some people like 
look the questions up online because it's an online test a lot of the time and those are becoming more frequent after COVID in my experience and so it's definitely like the internet can positives and negatives. Well, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, right? The internet we know now is a blessing and a curse. That's the instructor Amy Meeks again. It was created to connect the world, to provide information to people who might not have it in their hometown. That's a wonderful thing. But it also now, in many ways, as we know, different discussion has been a curse. Um, And I think one of the ways is that it has made knowledge seems so easily accessible that students don't feel like they ever have to own any of it. They don't ever have to really be accountable for any of it. For this longtime instructor, this means students are missing out on the whole point of college. Education is what it is. It's to, you know, you've come, you've left your hometown. This is what I also say. Look, you left your hometown. You decided you wanted to go to the university and become educated. I applaud you for that. I'm glad you're here. And basically, when you left your hometown, you were willing to take off your blinders to say, what else is out there? You know your hometown well. You know your family well. You have said, I'm going to go to another part of the world, even if it's just 30 miles away, and I'm going to see what's happening there. And I applaud that. But I do feel like there are so many people, they don't come for an education. They come for a degree. And that's the difference. They just want to check the boxes, pay my tuition, take the classes I need to get to get this degree. And I don't think that they're really here for an education. And that makes me sad because getting a degree is supposed to be all about becoming educated. It's supposed to be the, the proof that you are educated. That's right. That's exactly Instead right. Instead of the thing in itself. Right, right. And you think that's, I mean, in your 20 years, you feel like it's more now that attitude. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that it, I think COVID escalated it because we had all of these other avenues that we were supposed to be giving them information. And listen, I'm not... I'm not saying that was wrong. I totally agree. We all needed to be gracious. We needed to be kind. We needed to be available. All of those things that we did during COVID were the right right response. They were the right thing to do. It's just hard to pull back. It's hard to go back to a previous time. So I do think, you know, your questions have made me realize, I do think we need to think of another way to entice them into seeing the value of education. This is an insight that professors around the country are starting to come to. That they can't just resume teaching as they did it before the pandemic and expect the same result. That was a key piece of advice from a national expert on college teaching that I talked to, Josh Eiler. He's the director of the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning at the University of Mississippi, who's written a book on effective college teaching. One of the things I advocate for really strongly is taking time at the beginning of the semester to provide what I, I, I call on-ramps back into in-person learning. So that means just to address the elephant in the room. We know that this is what was happening and, and this is the, the context of learning during the pandemic, but now we're all back together again. And so what does that mean? Why is that valuable? What, what can we do when we are together in this way that we couldn't do before? And how can we maximize that work that we can do together now that we're back in person? And just having a really frank discussion with them, listening to them, letting them talk. Uh, and that, you know, that certainly gives you as the faculty member information, but it also allows them to see, 
oh, this is different. I do have to reacclimate myself to this in-person experience, which is different from what it was before. So we are seeing, I think, elevated levels of distraction uh, and sometimes disengagement. But I also have empathy for the students. They were in an, uh, a learning circumstance that was definitely not ideal. And they were going through a lot of trauma themselves. And so it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a response or a defense mechanism to that uh, or lasting legacy of that. So here's the side of campus we have not gone to yet. I still had one more class to go to. And that one was taught by my host for this visit. Rachel Davenport, a senior lecturer in biology at Texas State. She even took time out to show me around campus beforehand. You can see the round building over there. That's our performing arts building um, and with all of our, like where our plays and, and musical performances take place. Um, the, you can see Old Main, <laughs> the one with, you know, the adorable old looking one. Uh, that was our very first building. The class of hers I'm visiting is Human Physiology which has around 190 students, most of them juniors and seniors, many of them pre-med. As class is about to start, the room feels pretty packed. I counted more than 100 people here, and there's a buzz of anticipation that I hadn't seen in earlier classes I visited. I get up in front, and I give the same spiel I've given to all three classes. I am Jeff Young. I host a podcast about education. It's called the Ed Surge Podcast. And then I head to the back of the room to observe. Quick reminder, so last class, we were in our respiratory system. We're going to actually finish it up today. And remember, too, we're talking about our maintenance systems. So we Literally about- everyone has a phone or laptop on their desk. Everyone. In part because Rachel Davenport has a habit of putting up quiz questions every few minutes that students have to answer using a device. She does this with a system called Top Hat. Actually, there are a few competing tools like it that people use in lectures to inject some interactivity. And just a few minutes in, she poses the first one of the day. Here's your first Top Hat question for today. A person used to living at elevation takes a vacation to the beach at sea level. When they arrive, which of the following would happen? There are five choices on the screen at the front of the room. Here they are if you want to play along at home. A, increased production of urethrocytes. B, increased respiration rate. C, decreased tidal volume. D, decreased diffusion of O2 across alveoli. E, increased carbon monoxide. F, none of the above. Many students take a picture of the screen so they can refer to it as they think through the answer. The students are allowed to discuss with a neighbor as well. Let's do like 10 more seconds and we can talk about it together. At least put a guess. In the end, anyone who shows up and clicks in something during this time will get credit for class participation. So this is not high stakes. I see most people picking the correct one. So I'm going to tell you which one it is so you can change your answer if you didn't get it. But then let's go through and make sure that we understand why it's the right one. So this one is... Wait, did people put, yeah, they did. It's C, as in Charlie, right? So put C as in Charlie, but then let's talk about, let's just, let's rule the others out first. So Because of this tech use, in this class, I see the most devices out of any of the classes that I visited. One student, Andrea Thomas, had three devices on her desk during class. So you had your iPad, your laptop, and your phone out 
in yeah, various ways. Yeah, so the phone I kind of use to take pictures and then the laptop is just like if I want to look stuff up so I don't have to navigate so much away from the PowerPoint that I'm looking at and taking notes on. So it's kind of a backup. I don't always use the laptop. It's just kind of like safety net maybe. So you're taking <laughs> notes on the slides on the iPad yes. with a stylus. Yes. Your phone is just in case yeah. something buzzes. Well, and like taking pictures of her questions. Oh, right. So I have them so I can like, and then I look For at the quiz them. questions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you take, sorry, do you take the picture, then you look at it. It's easier to look at it on your phone than it is on the screen. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which seems weird, but And yeah. then do you answer the top hat on your phone or on the iPad or on, on the... On the iPad, usually. Yeah. And yes, I did see some distraction here and there. A student checking a text... And one student who seemed to have a, a graphic novel opened on a window of his laptop. But mostly even that student was on task. And Davenport did something that teaching experts recommend when lecturing, which is to vary the format so no one thing happens for very long at a time. She even broke things up at one point with some student poetry. Okay, we are going to switch to our next chapter. But first, I have several awesome poems to uh, introduce our chapter which students had submitted earlier in the semester about the material. Let's check some of these out today. Okay. Uh, Cheyenne gives us a haiku, the renal organs, the ones that look like brown beans, kidneys cleanse the blood. Excellent. Chantel gives us homeostasis of water, solutes, and wastes is crucial for life. Lovely. Caleb, this one's funny. Uh, I have your kidney. Please be kind, but not too sweet. Sugar's my demise. <laughs> Love it. After class, I asked the professor whether she has changed her teaching since classes have come back fully in person since the pandemic. One is that um, I didn't record lectures. And so if you missed a class, you missed everything. Now, even though we're all fully back in person, I record everything and I put it up on our LMS. So um, I think there's less, there, there's still a value in coming to class. You earn points from the in-class quizzing um, and it's useful, I hope. I hope students feel like it's useful to come to class, but it's not the end of the world if they don't come because they can watch the recording or they, they also don't have to feel so frantic about writing notes the whole time because they can always go back to the recording and watch five minutes of whatever they might have missed if they, you know, they checked out. Or, yeah, yeah, or they ran to the bathroom or, or whatever that is. So that's something that I do differently and I think that takes some of the pressure off of students. The other big thing is I have found myself being much more lenient and empathetic. I think even before the pandemic, I was a pretty compassionate professor and pretty um, flexible and lenient about absences or, you know, um, makeups, uh, making up assignments, things like that. But now I think I am even more so. Um, and so I think that also takes a lot of the pressure off students. So given that, I do think attendance is a little bit lower, though not by much anymore, but it is a little bit lower. Uh, and I do think engagement is maybe not as intense. The students are a little bit more likely to be chatty. Uh, they are feel much more free coming in late, leaving early, running to the bathroom, although all things I allow. Um, but they, I think they're much more casual. I have to just be so thoughtful about 
active learning strategies about using real world examples to really um, get them excited, help them see the relevance, like why this is important for them to learn. Uh, literally tell them explicitly, not just implicit, but explicitly how excited I am that they're there and how cool I think this stuff is. Um, I think sometimes when if I'm teaching my pre-med students, my enthusiasm comes through implicitly. When I'm teaching my non-major students, I often say things like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. It turns out, <laughs> you know, I have to kind of, I, I literally say that, or um, I try to be dynamic about, um, you know, this stumped scientist, can you imagine? I mean, imagine being a scientist back then. You know, so I like really have to like, <laughs> This is like the way I try to do it. Yeah. Right, right. And so, um, so, so strategies like that. So she is more effusive now. She's realizing she needs to sell the education more, especially to non-majors. I also sat down with some students in the class to hear their views on distraction and what's changed since the pandemic. And they echoed many of the students I talked to previously. I asked whether the lecture format even makes sense anymore in this time where so much is online. And I was surprised by how pro-lecture they all were. I think I just learn better in person. Like, if I'm there physically, there is something about the act of coming, the intention of coming to a class for the specific purpose of learning that helps me, like, bring my whole self there. Whereas if I'm, that is the environment for the, the learning of this subject. Whereas if I'm at home, and I'm sitting in the living room, that's where I eat dinner, that's where I feed the cats, that's where I talk to my partner. There are all these other things going on, and even if I have a separate room where I can do this lecture, it's just not the same. Like, there's, there's a lot of power in coming to the place to do it, I think. That's Zoe Channon, a senior who's a returning adult student getting a second bachelor's degree. At 43 years old, she's majoring in biology and minoring in chemistry. Now, to be clear, the students were pro-lecture when the professors made them interesting. But I also heard some horror stories. I did have the experience, I think it was last year, with a professor who got slides from a textbook. Like, they, the textbook made the slides, and she literally read off of the slides for the entire semester. And so... Probably a quarter way through the semester, you saw the lecture hall go down to maybe 10% full because people realized that they actually, and I figured out, I was, I was putting more stock in the lectures than I was in the reading, thinking, well, that's where the most of the content is going to come from, and that I performed better on the tests and I learned better if I just read the book, and because all of the content came from there anyways. So I feel like... Um, Yes, there is definitely value in coming in person, and there are certainly exceptions. Of course, that kind of uninspiring lecture is not new either. In fact, there's a concept that I recently came across that was first talked about in 1991 called the Disengagement Compact at colleges. George Koo, a longtime higher ed leader, described this phenomenon as the unspoken agreement between students and their professors at many research universities where if teachers don't ask too much of students and still give them decent grades, then the students will write favorable course reviews and leave the professors alone to do research. That definitely wasn't the case, though, for professors that I met at Texas State. 
In fact, all the professors who let me sit in on these classes were working to improve their teaching and to better connect with their students. For instance, while I was talking to Amy Meeks, the psychology instructor, in her office, I noticed a copy of the book Small Teaching, Everyday Lessons from the Science of Learning by noted teaching expert James Lang. As those who heard the first installment of this series may remember, it was during a podcast interview I did with James Lang that I was first inspired to look into this issue of student distraction and disengagement. So I thought it only fitting to see if Lang would weigh in with some advice for professors trying to keep students engaged during this time. He has been out on sabbatical and a medical leave, but he has been thinking about what he's going to do differently when he goes back to the classroom this fall. I probably, you know, feel like I'm going to have to do a little bit more, um, more attention to structure. Um, and this is something I've been arguing and I argued in the book as well that, you know, we need to have, give students a varied experience. Um, it's really important to think about what's not just what you're teaching, the, the material and what you're doing, but what is it like to be in the seat in that room? And I think that's a really important thing for people to think about, right? Like, um, what is it like to sit for 50 minutes or 75 minutes in a room in that one seat, never get up or watch me do the same thing? It might feel different like stuff to me because I'm like moving from one topic to the next. But what is my body and brain actually experiencing in terms of, are, am I moving my hands? I'm talking, am I writing? Am I, do I, am I you know, holding something that you've given me? I'm holding a physical book, whatever it might be. Like, is that experience a varied one that's, that's aware of my sort of attention to capacities? Or is it just, yes, you're doing different things at the front of the room, but what I'm doing is just sitting here and listening, right? And so I'm gonna to try to be a little more aware of that, the sort of the, the sequence of the experience for the students. Professors around the country are also working to rethink their teaching. A couple of those instructors have reached out to me recently by social media or email since the first installment of this series ran. And I have been interviewing them about their innovative strategies. And James Lang had some more advice that I want to share as well. So stay tuned for material from that in the third and final installment of this series in two weeks. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Every week we explore how learning is changing. I am still working on part three of the series on student disengagement after COVID and how to respond. Once again, if you have a comment or a quick story you want to share, please email me at jeff at edsurge.com or call our listener line and leave a message. The number is 202-990-8525. That's 202-990-8525. And if you like this show, please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend about the Ed Surge Podcast on social media. Thanks to everyone who has been talking about the Ed Surge Podcast on social media. It's great to see that. I really appreciate it. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. And I am on Twitter at jryoung and my website, jeffyoung.net. Music this episode by Komaku. And editing this episode by Rebecca Koenig. We will be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening. Do you mind if I yeah. ask what r roughly you were doing on your phone? I'm um, watching TikTok. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>